1: Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a Weave only program brought to you by RNZ Sport, I'm Matt Chatterton. On the show this week, there's more woes for the Warriors as coach Andrew McFadden stands almost half his side down for misconduct. New Zealand Rugby CEO Steve Chu talks Olympics. Kane Williamson's finally been confirmed as captain of the Black Caps, but why did it take so long? We meet the man behind Hayden Padden's success on the World Rally stage and Bryce Tate returns to Kentucky in the hope of reaching the Rio Olympics. The New Zealand Warriors camp has been thrown into disarray following today's announcement that six players have been axed from this weekend's side to face the St George Illawarra Dragons in the NRL. Manu Vatave, Ben Mataleno, Bodine Thompson, Albert Vete, Sam Lasoni and Conrad Hurrell have been dropped after coach Andrew McFadden said they failed to meet team standards. RNZ has since learned that the players in question were out drinking in Auckland City on Tuesday night following their 42-0 thrashing to the Melbourne Storm, breaching team protocol. What most concerns Andrew McFadden and CEO Jim Doyle is that at least three of the group are considered senior members of the Warriors team. Marcelino, the Warriors Player of the Year twice in the last four years, Vatave, who's been with the club for 12 years and is on track to become the Warriors' most capped player, and Bodine Thompson all know the rules and the expectations on them, but broke them anyway. An extremely disappointed Doyle says that sort of attitude won't be tolerated, but he denied the rumours of late-night drinking.
2: We're not going to speculate on rumours. As I say, we have dealt with it internally. Uh, Whether they're accurate or not, I mean, I've heard a few people say a few things already, and so we're not going to say which ones are right, which ones are wrong. But no, uh, as I say, we've dealt with it, Um, and as far as we're concerned, uh, we're not going to talk about any more of the detail.
1: However, RNZ has learned that the players were out in the town to the early hours of Wednesday morning, and they then turned up late to a team meeting the next day, prompting an investigation and then punishment. And it isn't the first time these players have been called on team protocol. Last year, Conrad Hurrell and Manu Vatave were part of a group that went to a concert just two nights before they were thumped 50-16 by the West's Tigers. A year on, Coach McFadden is making it clear this sort of behaviour won't be tolerated, and he's not keeping that a secret. Here's a snippet of some of his answers from the Warriors media session.
3: Does it
2: concern you that your pack seems to be being beaten up a little more regularly than usual? Yes. Are you, does that come then down to maybe making the wrong selection choices,
4: Andrew? Well, I need to make changes if they're not going to aim up. You named that 17
3: uh, in a rush, I think, uh, before coming home from Melbourne. Do you think, can we expect more changes?
1: Possibly. Andrew, do you still feel like you're the right man for the job coaching these guys? Yes, I do. Sources I've spoken to suggest McFadden's stance of dropping the group to the NRL's second division competition isn't the answer and that a fine would be more of an incentive to sharpen up. One source went on to say that McFadden may not have the administrative support to carry on should he suffer any more big losses. The Warriors' next match is against St George Illawarra on Sunday. New Zealand rugby boss Steve Chu says the All Blacks played no part in Hurricanes openside flanker Ardi Savier's decision to pull out of contention for the Olympics and has reacted angrily to suggestions NZR aren't doing all they can to win Sevens gold in Rio. Savia made the call to withdraw from the New Zealand Sevens side on Sunday saying he wanted to concentrate on Super Rugby as he chases a spot in the All Blacks. The New Zealand Sevens coach Sir Gordon Titchens was left bitterly disappointed as Savia had been a key piece of his puzzle for Rio Savia has been talked about as an all black and waiting by coach Steve Hansen and the 22 year old is obviously keen to break into the side following the retirement of Richie McCaw there's been speculation that the All Blacks may have shoulder tapped Xavier, but NZR Chief Executive Steve Chu says none of the All Blacks players, coaches or management tried to influence his decision.
2: It's also incorrect and unfair to say that the All Blacks themselves have impacted this decision. But I know for a fact that there has been no direct contact from the All Black coaches or selectors to Adi
1: Sevier. Chu also reacted angrily to suggestions NZR aren't doing all they can to win Olympic gold. Apart from Sonny Bill Williams and Liam Messam, there are no All Blacks or high-profile 15s players vying for a spot in Rio, and Xavier's withdrawal prompted criticisms that NZR weren't taking the Olympics seriously. Chu says those claims are completely incorrect.
2: We have absolutely emphasised uh, Rio. We have invested literally millions of dollars in both the men's and women's programme, significantly more money than we've ever put anywhere near sevens in the past. And if you look at the women's programme, we now have a group of professional full-time athletes, which we would never have envisaged if we weren't going to the
1: Olympics. Chu concedes it's disappointing more top 15s players haven't decided to play sevens at this year's Rio Olympics and says Saviers' withdrawal is unfortunate. However, he believes there will be more All Blacks and Super Rugby stars keen to compete at the 2020 Games in Tokyo.
2: I'll be very surprised if we don't have more interest in 2020. Once rugby players have seen rugby at the Olympics, I think there's still still an understanding gap, if you like, of what it means to be at that event on that stage and for rugby to be part of it. Not as though these guys are not going to the Olympics because they've gone overseas and left us. They're choosing to stay here and play for us. They've just chosen the 15s game first. So... Is it surprising? A little. Is it disappointing? Yep. Um, can we force players play sevens? No, and we won't.
1: You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only podcast brought to you by RNZ Sport. New Zealand Cricket have finally confirmed that Kane Williamson will captain the Black Caps in all three formats of the game. The 25-year-old has been a member of the Black Cap since 2010 and has already led the side in 36 one-day and 2020 matches, including the recent 2020 World Cup in India last month. He's the 34th captain to skipper the New Zealand team in any full international format and is poised to become the country's 29th test captain, dating back to Tom Lowry in 1930. Williamson was always expected to take over the captaincy reigns from Brendan McCullum, but the two and a half months it took for the announcement to be made did take some by surprise. Black Caps coach Mike Kissen told me while it was always the plan, the right process still had to be taken.
4: I think over the last couple of years we've provided Kane with a number of captaincy opportunities I think he's captained over 30 games during that time so he hasn't done a test match yet but he's certainly captained obviously ODIs and T20s and um, certainly grown into the role to a point we're in the T20 World Cup uh, he was really confident and and I think did an excellent job You've uh,
1: got back from India and you've sat down and obviously thought about it what were the reasons I suppose behind why it sort of took the time it did for uh, Kane to be announced as captain
4: I just think there's a process that you go through and also there was, no, um, there was no time frame for us, we don't play till July, there was no need to rush it, Kane needed some time to consider it, we needed to go through our process at this end as well with the board and through the CEO and, and also people needed to take some annual leave so as I said there was no rush from our point of view, It was even though it was deemed to be an easy decision. Uh, we still had a process to go through. You
1: know. There were a few rumours that Kane himself sort of needed some time to make the decision. Do you know if that is true and why that was?
4: Oh, I think any person, it's not. You know, it's a, it's a very important position. It's a position that also takes a lot of time and and can consume you. So it's something that he did need some time, as anyone would.
1: For you, was there anyone else running for the captaincy other than Kane?
4: Uh, it wasn't a. It certainly, wasn't a. Debate. Um, as I said, it was a relatively easy decision to make, but as I said, there's always a process with these things.
1: And uh, captaining over in India, how did he find that? Did, is that sort of where he got his real taste for the captaincy role?
4: Well, it's the first time that he was able to do it without feeling he was in a caretaker role, and I think out of respect to Brendan, previously, you know, Kane was looking after the team and developing, whereas this time it was his team, and as I said, I think he did an excellent job. Did you have to sort of sit down with him yourself and talk to him about the
1: opportunity as being captain in? Sort of convince him that it would be a good role for him?
4: No, it's not something you, you convince, it's just something that over time, you know, we have many discussions. It's not a one meeting, do you want to do it? No, you don't. It's a matter of, yeah, it's just a, a process. And Kane at the end of the T20 World Cup was, you know, he was really enjoying the role and uh, we were certainly very pleased with the job he was doing and he certainly had the respect of all the players.
1: You mentioned earlier that Kane is quite, you know, a private person. Do you think he'll be able to handle that side of the job, you know, all the media expectations? that will be put on him?
4: Well, I think a lot of that will need to be shared. I think it's something that, as I said, we've got a lot of senior players now that are all ready to offer. It's a full encompassing role, but um, there's certainly ways we can help that.
1: Moving forward, what sort of direction do you see Kane taking this side in compared to what Brendan has done for so many years?
4: I think it's just a continuation really. I think it's a, you know our side's evolved over time in terms of the style that we want to play, the style that we think gives us the most chance of success and Kane's certainly been a big part of that throughout as have other players. So it's more a continuation of that rather than necessarily changing direction. Yeah.
1: He is obviously quite young, only 25. You didn't think maybe give him a few more years just uh, in the side itself rather than giving him the captaincy role at all?
4: I don't necessarily think it's an age thing. I think it's an experience thing, and and it's what he offers to the table. I think he's got a lot to offer the role. I think he's going to be an excellent captain. Black Caps coach Mike Hesson. Hayden Patton may
1: be the man behind the wheel, but now let's meet the man beside the driver, Patton's co-driver and navigator John Kennard from Blenheim. While Patton made New Zealand WRC history with his breakthrough victory at Argentina, the 56-year-old also set a record as both the oldest winner as a co-driver and the oldest to win a league of the WRC at all. Kennard told me that it's been a whirlwind few days since winning in Argentina. No, it's just mind-blowing. You can't believe the amount of messages that we've
3: had from from everywhere, from around the world, from around New Zealand, it just yeah, and from people who you thought had no interest in motorsport whatsoever. So that's one of the fantastic things about it, that we're actually generating interest from people who are fans of other sports, but they love what we're doing.
1: Going into Rally Argentina, did you have any sort of idea that what could have happened? No,
3: we've found in the past that sometimes the rallies that go best are the ones where you go in with no preconceived ideas about, you, you think it's a rally that doesn't really suit us, or you're just relaxed really into it, and this was one of those rallies for sure where we had no expectations, suddenly you find you're going fast and the pressure ramps up a wee bit, um and in the end, in this one, we've got the result we're looking for. How long have you been working with Hayden for? I mean, I imagine it's quite some time now. Yeah, this is the 11th season together. I was trying to work out the other day, but our first rally ever was Rally Otago 2006, and it must be
1: almost to the day, 10 years. So so you've been with him for a long time then. Did you see this coming uh, so soon for Hayden, the success he's achieved? I certainly think I saw it coming from the word go. That, maybe in the very beginning you didn't
3: realize to what level you could actually take it but you, you quite quickly realized that as well and yeah from probably the first season I was with him you thought this guy can go a long long way and I'd been working in the industry at the top level so you thought yeah
1: you can probably get to that level. Being a co-driver could you describe what the uh, intricacies are I guess of your, of your job?
3: Um, <laughs> in a Funny sort of way, I'm actually the secretary inside the car. Hayden, what what a lot of people don't realise is that Hayden writes the pace notes. They think the co-driver writes the pace notes. Hayden, when we do reconnaissance, describes to me what the road is in a shorthand language. And I write them down and then I just have to read them back at exactly the right time. And it's a language all of our own. All the drivers have it, but they have it slightly different. From outside, it probably doesn't mean much, but it all means something to us. And then Hayden's head actually recreates a
1: video. You're reading notes with your head down, reading notes like that. How do you not get sick at that sort of speed? Um, For many years, I've taken things
3: to make sure I didn't get sick. But now that we've got to this level, things happen so quickly inside the car that you have absolutely no opportunity to think, oh, I'm feeling sick and the mental side of it there then is gone and I, I, I think travel sickness generally is, is as much in your head as it is in your body so I don't get the chance to think
1: really. Do you, um, do you say for an example last year when Hayden crashed at Rally Argentina do you see those uh, things coming like or are you so buried in the paper that you don't notice what's going on around you? I didn't see that coming whatsoever when we went off the road my first comment
3: to him actually was just put it in reverse and get out because he'd stopped and normally in that situation it wasn't a very heavy accident or anything he'd normally just put it in reverse and and leave again and it was really unfortunate, but his first comment was, I can't move running people over So, and that was a terribly serious accident. But fortunately, while we've been in Argentina this time, we met the guys who had been injured. They're all OK. They back out watching the
1: rally, and they still love it. So, What was that experience like, I suppose, getting to meet back up with the people? Because it was, as you say, a very serious accident could have gone probably a little more horribly wrong. Um, was it nice to sort of see that you know they were doing OK this year round?
3: Yeah, and I mean they're, they're people, they're, the people, the crowds in Argentina generally are passionate about about the sport, and the guys that we met were just they they were loving the fact that they were back out there
1: watching. Um, you know, it hasn't stopped them. Coming back to New Zealand, you were recently doing the rally of Otago. You're going up to the rally of Whangarei, What's that like compared to you know the World Rally Championship?
3: Both are, are rallies that are extremely well organised and they're on some of the most fantastic roads in the world so to come back and do them it's just incredible to, a, to be able to do it and to
1: be in the places where the roads are like that and with Hayden driving it's a really special experience. Finally, um... Obviously, Hayden became the first uh, Kiwi to win on the WRC, but you've uh, actually achieved uh, an accomplishment yourself. You're the oldest co-driver to win on the WRC. What's that like uh, to have that title next to your name? Oh, yeah. I mean, to to
3: be at my age still competing at this sort of level, is fantastic. There's not so many sports where you can do it, and it's a little bit different from long bowls, so... (laughs) (laughs) That's <laughs> fantastic. And you get to go all around the world too. Yeah, <laughs> you do. I've been doing it for a few years. So um, travel, I still love travel. So that, that's one of the things that you have to get your head around is that it looks really glamorous, but in actual fact there's a massive amount of travel. And the, you see the rallies, you don't see the testing and development work that goes on in between. And where you see a three-week gap, it doesn't mean it's a three-week gap. It means that there's three weeks of other
1: work going on. So... It is a very, very busy schedule, but it's one that I still love. How do you manage family time with that, you know, being away from home for so long?
3: Um, my wife travels um, with me as well, and um, we have a vineyard in Marlborough, and we manage some other vineyards, so that still has to happen <laughs> as well. So she comes back with them forward. She's a Finn, and we have
1: a summer cottage in Finland, so I sort of live in Finland part of the time as well. John Kennard and Hayden Patton are back home to race this weekend's Rally of Whangarei. The 2016 ANZ Championship Netball Series hasn't got off to the best of starts for the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic. The 2012 champions are in last place on the New Zealand ladder, failing to record a win in their first three games. After having the bye week on the weekend, the Magic are looking ahead now to taking on the Melbourne Vixens. While defender Liana De Bruyne is expected to return in some capacity for the Magic this week, the yeah, outlook isn't as good for mid-quarter Grace Rasmussen. Nepal reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe caught up with Magic coach Julie Fitzgerald to find out how the team is tracking ahead of their match in Melbourne.
0: Yeah, we
5: fancy our chances against everyone. Even in the teams where we've had heavy losses, we've had good quarters um, and very good passages of play, but we haven't been able to string them together across a whole game.
0: Are you still figuring out the best positions for your shooters? Because although you've got Harton who sort of has traditionally run the show at Goldshoe, when you've put Pasika back there, she seems more comfortable there as well. What kind of things are you weighing up? Um,
5: that definitely. The fact that Malia has been doing exceptionally well in shooter. But really I'm looking for some consistency over the shooters. No one really yet has turned around and played a good game two weeks in a row. So a consistency across a whole match and some consistency week to week. We'd like to see from the shooters.
0: Of course, there's also Ellen Halpenny, and when she comes on, she seems to to bring um, good structure. Is her court placement one of her strengths? It is, and
5: Ellen's an intelligent player. But Ellen herself was injured in the preseason, and she's only just getting back on her feet now. So she's had limited time with us, but she's certainly feeling a lot stronger now.
0: Have you seen? Um, you know, the development of like Sam Sinclair and Jamie Lee Price, have they, have you seen, you know, improvements from them from last year, do you think?
5: Yes, yeah, certainly, and particularly Sam Sinclair and Christiana Manure, I think she's such a mature player on court, people forget that she's only 18, 19, or she's 19 years of age, and I think she too has improved remarkably.
0: Traditionally, the games between the Australian sides have been pretty tight, but this year it appears the Firebirds and Swifts are streets ahead of everyone else. Um, how can they be stopped? Because they're looking a bit scary at the moment. <laughs>
5: <laughs> they are, in particular, the Swiss. I think the Swifts are in excellent form. The Firebirds are managing to do enough to win games that probably haven't... I think Rose would probably agree they haven't hit their full straps yet, so that's a scary prospect, but they are certainly well out in front of the competition in terms of standard at the moment.
0: Conversely, you could say the New Zealand teams, it's pretty tight. I mean, we had the tactics upset the Mystics the other night. We've had a lot of close games in New Zealand. Um, does that bode well. Is is it great to have those tight games in New Zealand to help prepare you?
5: Oh, definitely. I think the New Zealand Conference is really exciting this year and it's great to see the depth of talent spread pretty evenly across the teams and everyone being able to have a really good tussle. I think for the competition as a whole, that's a really good thing. You don't want two front runners. You want your competition as even as possible.
0: And... um, the rules, the rule changes so far, are you pretty um, pretty comfortable with how they're being implemented? Are the players understanding the, the umpiring calls?
5: Yes, certainly in New Zealand we've had no worries at all. I think we've spent a lot of time with the umpires prior to the season starting and they've been very open to any discussions that we've wanted to have throughout the season. So I don't think we have any issues at all with the new rules.
0: Do you, as a coach, miss the tech, those tactical timeouts or do, or do you think it's time to move on and it's a good thing?
5: I think it's time to move on and I think it's important that you now don't have one leader on court, that you need several leaders on court who can pick up the reins when before you might have called the timeout. I think it's really improved the standard of the game.
1: The Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic coach Julie Fitzgerald talking to RNZ Netball reporter Bridget Tunnicliffe. 16 years after last competing at and winning the prestigious Kentucky equestrian event, New Zealander Blythe Tate is back as part of his campaign to qualify for the Rio Olympics. Tate won the Kentucky event in 2000 aboard Welton Envoy and will compete this year on Xanthus Three. He last competed at the Olympics in Athens in 2004 and then came out of retirement to try and qualify for the 2012 London Games. The four-time Olympian failed to qualify for London when his horse was injured but told sports editor Stephen Houston he's hopeful of better luck this time.
6: With horses, it, um, you know, it's a long-term thing. So um, you know, everything's been heading towards Rio and it'll still continue to do so. But um, you know, horses' soundness, their fitness, all of that sort of thing is important. So every competition has been, you know, been significant, but I guess this one is sort of our last opportunity, so to speak. Are you
4: comfortable with where you're at?
6: Yes, I mean, I would have liked to have um, sort of had these two horses. that I've got got one here at Kentucky and one at Badminton. I'd like to have had them at this level last year, uh, but it just wasn't possible. So, um, you know, I'm walking a fine line, and I do need good performances out of them both. But, um, you know, I believe that they're both very capable, and um, luckily I have plenty of experience. So if I uh, get the opportunity, I feel I'll be ready.
4: Kentucky, is it the the kind of course or, or competition that's going to suit you?
6: Um, Yes, I think so. Um, This horse uh, is a very bold horse. He's a good galloping horse and the the cross-country sort of tends to favour that type of horse here in in Kentucky. Um, He seems to have travelled over very well. He's working well. So, um, yeah, we'll just uh, give it our best shot.
4: It's a while since you've been at Kentucky, isn't it? Or competed at Kentucky anyway.
6: Uh, apparently, uh, well I've only been twice, I came in 1999 and I was second then and I came in 2000 and was lucky enough to win, so I haven't been here since then so hoping to keep my record um, up there.
4: It's an impressive record, has it changed much?
6: There's been a lot of development in the site itself, there's a lot more uh, buildings and um, so on and so forth, which I don't I don't know that it seems a little crowded to me, but um, the facilities are outstanding. Uh, the cross country looks very similar. It still looks exactly as I remember it. Are
4: you thinking much about Rio? Um,
6: yeah, always got an eye on Rio, but um, you know, you've got to stay focused on the moment this weekend um, and just prepare as best you can, perform as best you can. Um, you know, obviously, we'll know much more after this weekend as to whether Rio is um, a realistic goal or or not, but I mean, I think, I think whatever happens this weekend, you know, we're all still in the shake up um, uh, based on, you know, the performances and the development that we've achieved up to this point. Uh, but as I say, if I had another 12 months up my sleeve, I'd be more confident. But uh, anyhow, we've found ourselves here in Kentucky. So, um, yeah, we'll just see how things go.
1: Blath Tate talking to sports editor Stephen Hewson. That's extra time for this week. Your feedback is always welcome via Twitter at rnzsport or our emails sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Matt Chitterton. Bye for now.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts?